This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Any home or business can quickly become infested with mold with the introduction of a water source, like a roof or plumbing leak. When your home, your belongings, or your business becomes damaged, it's not just about cleaning up the mess, it's about reclaiming your life. And that's why you need to call the Water and Mold Removal Hotline. A licensed, fully insured, affordable, non-invasive solution to solving any water and mold problems. Our team of trained specialists are available with 24-7 emergency service. We will quickly evaluate your problem and give you a plan that will guarantee results. Water causes damage and mold can spread throughout your property in as little as 48 to 72 hours and can produce allergens and irritants that have the potential to cause serious health hazards. So don't waste time. Give us a call now. For any water or mold problems, call the Water and Mold Removal Hotline. Call 800-442-7043 today for a free estimate. That's 800-442-7043. 800-442-7043. Spreading freedom across the nation. This is the Buck Sexton Show. All right, Team Buck, welcome back to the Freedom Hut. We're joined now by our friend Tom Rogan. He's a domestic and foreign policy writer at National Review and a contributor to the McLaughlin Group. Tom, thank you so much for joining. Sorry I missed you the other day at the airport. I'm sorry you dropped your fancy sandwich. I need to ask you, what kind of a sandwich was it? Uh, it was an Italian sandwich, but I was uh, when when your producer called, I was just trying to shuffle all my different stuff because people were getting on the plane, and I dropped it. And this person across from me, which I thought was quite amusing, the first reaction I looked at this this lady, and she just smiled with a look of pure pleasure at me dropping it, um, uh, which was very odd. Uh, but at the same time, you know these things. She's happen, what you call a Democrat, loose. Tom. But go ahead. Ah, exactly. And we, you know, sometimes we lose people, we lose sandwiches. So, you know, it's, it's a, uh, it's a tragedy, but you know, I'll get over it. Was there, was there a prosciutto, a prosciutto on your sandwich? You said Italian, you said fancy. It was, there was some pesto and you know, it was, it was oh, very overpriced though, Pros- as airport food is. That was the tragedy. Look at you, you prosciutto eating latte drinker. I like it. All right, Tom. Uh, so <laughs> let's, let's talk, let's talk about, so please trust me. I, I just finished my latte a few minutes before I got on air. I cast, I cast the first stone because I have so many myself. All right. Um, what do we have here? Uh, oh, yes. Why Trump is right. I want to talk a bit. We're getting some national security stuff in a second. We got a load of time here, Tom. But first, Trump and reducing Obama's banking regulations. This is the kind of thing that I feel like people don't get as riled up about as they should, because there are a lot of things that Trump can do in the economy that sound like they're removed from us, but actually will help all of us and, and, and actually help the economy in a meaningful way. And banking regulations yeah. is one of them. Tell us about it. Exactly, yeah. So my piece, uh, Opportunity Lives on Banking Regulation, is basically making the case that if you dive into a lot of the details of Dodd-Frank beyond, uh, for example, bank capitalization, uh, there are real problems in terms of what those regulations are doing. And and so a couple of specifics would be for low-income individuals uh, who don't have the credit rating um, that – you know, higher income individuals have. And banks are far more reluctant to lend to them because not only, as Dodd-Frank said, you should not loan to these people, uh, it imposes a risk penalty on the banks that if that person um, you know, fails to, to pay back their 
uh, loan or that the, the banks have to pay a potential penalty on that. And then the second point would be um, when we're talking about the idea of social mobility uh, and helping individuals you know, get ahead, because of the regulations that Dodd-Frank puts in in terms of picking uh, winners and losers between the interactions of credit card companies and re- retailers, uh, capping uh, the, the fees that uh, credit card companies traditionally charge to retailers, uh, the banks are pushing uh, that cost onto low-income account holders uh, who don't have the same uh, marginal benefit to the banks anymore. So that, so from the bank's perspective, if you're a low-level uh, saver, and that's why we're seeing these sort of ATM fees, et cetera, account maintenance fees, is because it, Dodd-Frank has made uh, poor people, essentially, or less wealthy people, um, marginal cost uh, each each individual is sort of a marginal cost to the bank and and it doesn't it at a basic economic level it doesn't make sense and it's uh, and then the extension of that of course is that uh, low-income individuals whether it be a mortgage or a loan uh, are struggling to access uh, credit and and um and then the final point i talk about in the piece is the impact on uh, community banks uh, in you know, local towns across the country that traditionally have been, you know, that you, you capital in the community for the community. Um, and those banks are, you know, really struggling under Dodd-Frank because they do not have uh, the money to pay for the lawyers and accountants to help them navigate this minefield of regulations. What do you think about cutting the corporate tax? That's one of the issues that I, I know Trump and the team are looking at right now. Uh, I have not heard anybody who thinks that that anybody outside the sort of Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren government revenue is always a good idea camp that I haven't heard anybody who thinks it's a bad idea. No, I think it's a very good idea, but I think it has to be based on the way to do it. I think it's comprehensive tax reform in the sense that, um, you know, apart from depreciation of capital assets and a a couple of other things that are really necessary um, in terms of the tax code. We, we just have to – a lot of the loopholes that benefit certain companies also have to come out uh, so that uh, investment flows, uh, that the, the, the invisible hand guides investment to the place of best potential return and that, and that we trust uh, in the economy uh, rather than the ability of politicians uh, through lobbies to pick winners and losers. So, yeah, absolutely, I think we should – I did a piece on Opportunity Lives for this as well. We should cut the corporate tax rate. Uh, but simplify it. And, and that is the best way. If Trump, you know, Trump talks a lot about wanting to, to keep jobs in the United States, that is the best. And I think, frankly, the only way to do it, because, yes, you can say, you know, I'm going to put an t- internal tariff on if companies want to, you know, build something in Mexico and ship it over here. But you know what will happen is those companies will simply get bought by a foreign ownership and completely, you know, their, their tax status will change abroad. So the way to avoid that is to make America, as Trump has said himself, to his credit, uh, the best place in the world uh, to do business. If we do that, you know, we can attract all this capital and we can, you know, in, in the longer term, it gives us an ability to uh, increase employment, get that um, labor participation rate up and, and, and you know, achieve, uh, as Trump would say, great things. But, but it, it's, it's quite basic, but it requires... A resolve from Republicans to say you know, there are not, for example, going to be loopholes for you know, the energy industry. It's just about reducing rates and, and making sure that every company uh, has an equal opportunity uh, to fight for a profit. What do you think about the decision that came down last night, by the way? We've been talking about it a lot on the show. I just wanted your reaction to it. Uh, yeah, you know, I think it's it's silly. I mean, my, look, my I, I I think the ban is a bad idea, but I um, I think if you look at so I went to, to 
uh, law school in the UK. I've always been very, I love US constitutional law. It's one of my sort of nerdy little interests. But if you look at the precedents in national security related law, um, it is very, very strongly um, deferential to the executive, at least at the point of uh, administration, which is what was before the court rather than the constitutional merits uh, in question here. Um, you know, that that would come on at a future point. So uh, from my perspective, um, you know, the, the, the court ruled the wrong way. And I just I, I think it's a it's you know, I don't I don't, I don't sort of recognize their, um, their judgment on that. I think, you know, it, it, I think it's based in precedence is the wrong decision. And also, do you see last night the report up on Fox News about I know we're, we're jumping around here, Tom, but uh, you're, you're a man of of many talents and, and lots to say. Um, the uh, idea that we might have to send more troops to Afghanistan. I feel like people have forgotten that we still, one, have troops in Afghanistan, and two, that war, that whatever we're going to call it now, I mean, the overseas U.S. operations to stabilize, uh, to stabilize the sovereign state of Afghanistan, that is not going very well. Uh, the Taliban's in control yeah. a lot of that country. I'm going to be talking about this more next week, but I, I, this, this seems like the press has rediscovered the Afghan war for a moment. Exactly. And I, I think, you know, look, President Obama just put it on the back burner. You know, the war is going to end. And, and the challenge is that the Taliban have been um, taking territory in, 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 uh, in increasing degrees because the Afghan military, he um, was actually acting very courageously, taking a lot of casualties, but, but lacks the kind of um, capability as of yet and support structure to be able to... Um, you know, to, to, to do what it needs to do in terms of controlling, I think, the key um, strategic nodes in places like Kalman and Kandahar in the south and the, the Pashtun border areas uh, in the east. And, and so I think that John Nicholson, who I believe is the um, commander there, is going to request, you know, the, he's the one requesting these additional troops. And I think, I think Trump should do it. And I think, you know, the main reason is, again, this is like Iraq 2011, and um, if we can have those troops there providing that kind of you know, advisory role, uh, but also, you know, sometimes yeah, going towards the front as embeds, it signals, it does two things. It brings capability to give the Afghans time to, to build their own forces to be able to take over. Um, but it also gives us leverage in the political negotiations with the Taliban uh, towards a potential peace deal, because it shows the Taliban that we're not cutting and running. Um, and so I think, you know, the lesson of Iraq would be that in, in a way that takes into consideration that this is the you know, willingness of Americans to take more casualties um, that, we, that we use our national power uh, towards a positive you know, strategic effect. And I think we can do that. Here. Are you a John Wick fan, by the way? You know, I watched the first one. I didn't really like it. I thought it was kind of boring. I, I, I preferred Taken um, as that kind of thing. And, you know, that. Like Inglorious Bus. I don't know. John Wick, I just I didn't identify with him as much as I was hoping I would. I like Constantine. That's, I hear you. That, that's not your jam. I just saw the uh, the trailer for John Wick too, so I was wondering if we could get to a, a consensus on whether that's worth seeing or not. Sounds like you're you're not you're not loving it though. No, no, I've you know, I'm I've just you know, I like I like some stuff like that, but I um John Wick, um, you know, yeah, I just, I didn't, I, I just thought it was kind of. So you, know you like really Taken, where you have a an Irish guy in his sixties who uh, is able to beat up like dozens of guys with his bare hands at once because he was in the CIA at some point. That's right. it's quite right. a storyline exactly. when you put it in that context. And I also think you know the um, 
the equalizer I, I very much enjoyed that one denzel washington um i think that was much better there's a great do you see that one no is, is it is that sort of like the uh man on fire where he is just yeah, like running around getting it. revenge it's it's it's, it's really it's, it's it's superb i think the storyline is good as well and and that to me is like a better version of john wick I mean, it is Action Movie Quote Friday. I don't know if you even know that, Tom. So we take Action Movie Quotes from people that are listening to the oh, show. Uh, what is for you? Your You can give me either your top three or just best all-time action movie. Best all-time action movie. Um, uh, well, I, I love, I've always loved In the Line of Fire. Um, I like... Um, wow, that's a, that's a, that was not a kid random. I would have guessed. Okay, what else? Yeah, um... Because yeah, the mix of patriotism and sort of humor, and uh, the longest day, I think it's a great one. Um, and hey, you put me on the spot here. You're going, um, way, you're going way outside the box here. I don't even know what the longest day is. Well, 1962, Second World War movie. I bet a lot of your listeners will know what it is. You should educate yourself. Oh, I'm sure. No, I'm, uh, I mean, I'm, 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 uh, <laughs> I'm remiss on this one, but I'm just saying, I, I don't even know that. Yeah, 1962, uh, 1962 epic war film. Uh, based on the book, the longest day. Okay, I got to check that one out. Right. Yeah, and then maybe I don't know. You know, the third one. I'm. You know, I do enjoy. Um, maybe even the Equalizer. I have to say, I, I think that's about the Russian mob. And there's a. You know, there's a great sort of scene where he goes into the mob uh, room, and and the, the moral narrative narrative is very strong there uh, in the movie. And but there's there's there. Are, it's it's very cleverly uh, done uh, movie. So that those three would probably be my uh, good safe picks. All right. Tom Rogan, our friend. He is a foreign policy and domestic policy writer at National Review, contributor to the McLaughlin Group. Tom R. Tweets is how you follow him on Twitter and check out his column up on OpportunityLives.com. Tom, I owe you a sandwich still, but thank you very much for calling in, my friend. It was great to have you. Have a good weekend. You You too. Thanks a lot, Puck. All right. Take care. Uh, Team phone lines are open. We can take some calls on the other side. Uh, 888-900-3393, and we'll be right back. The Buck Sexton Show. Discover more at theblaze.com slash radio. The Blaze Radio Network. Any home or business can quickly become infested with mold with the introduction of a water source like a roof or plumbing leak. When your home, your belongings, or your business becomes damaged, it's not just about cleaning up the mess. It's about reclaiming your life, and that's why you need to call the Water and Mold Removal Hotline, a licensed, fully insured, affordable, non-invasive solution to solving any water and mold problems. Our team of trained specialists are available with 24-7 emergency service. We will quickly evaluate your problem and give you a plan that will guarantee results. Water causes damage and mold can spread throughout your property in as little as 48 to 72 hours and can produce allergens and irritants that have the potential to cause serious health hazards. So don't waste time. Give us a call now. For any water or mold problems, call the Water and Mold Removal Hotline. Call 800-442-7043 today for a free estimate. That's 800-442-7043. 800-442-7043. You're listening to The Buck Sexton Show. Team, our lines are open here, 888-900-3393. Uh, we have Jeremy in North Carolina calling him. What's up, Jeremy? How's it going, Buck? Um, 
I don't have any uh, action movie quotes for you today, but I did want to kind of weigh in on the uh, court decision last night and the fact that it appears they've given standing to non-citizens in U.S. courts. And what I'm afraid of is this could unleash a, a flood, the floodgates of organizations such as CARE um, filing lawsuits in U.S. courts on behalf of uh, combatants who have had foreheads dropped on their foreheads. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know where this goes. I mean, I was trying to get a sense of that with Andy before. Um, I do believe that this will be, uh, well, that's actually interesting. I, I don't know what's going to happen in terms of whether it's going to get pushed up to the Supreme Court or not. I think the savvier political move for the administration, maybe it'll just come up with a new executive order or just go with extreme vetting and uh, move on from this. I know some are suggesting that. So, yeah, uh, you know, I'm just not I'm not clear on uh, what what the future is going to hold here. It, it does, to me at least, seem to create a right that did not exist before, which is or, or a, a due process right that now, as Andy said, you, you are if you're anywhere in the world, you have a case to make that you should be able to make your case in a U.S. federal court. that You have standing in a U.S. federal court. You have access to the U.S. judiciary. Well, that that's exactly. that's not a good thing. That's not something that we want. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I, I don't know what happens now. I mean, the decision is just is just crap. And by the way, one thing I didn't mention and I should have is that they also in their in their decision released last night mentioned the comments of Donald Trump from the campaign trail as whether or not that's indicative that there was an underlying hope to, you know, hope to uh, ban or persecute Muslims. If, if if statements made external to a law are going to determine whether a law is constitutional or not, we're in a lot of trouble because uh, oh, now yeah. you can just pick and choose anything you want to add in to a case uh, and, and a court can just say, well, this is the, the law on its face is not is not a problem from a constitutional perspective. But you know, there, there are some dumb people saying dumb things about it somewhere. So we have to change the way that we view it. That's a really dangerous precedent to send, I think. Yeah, it, 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 it's a scary day and time we're living in. I mean, with what's been going on in the Ninth Circus, I mean, and the the overriding of the Constitution by the judiciary is just taking us that much closer to what I'd consider a constitutional crisis. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's if this continues, Jeremy, with the judiciary acting as the primary break on the executive's agenda on issues that the plain language of them, you know, I know people are going to say, well, look what happened with Obama. Whoa. Are you, are you okay? What happened? No, I'm here. Oh, all right. Sounds like you're on the highway or something. Jeremy in North Carolina. Good to talk to you, my friend. Thank you for calling in shield tie. Yeah. I mean, I think this is where, this is what we get into now is the, is, is the judiciary is the primary weapon against, against the Trump agenda. Where does that stop? Um, and, and if, plain language of the statute isn't going to govern where they think they can weigh in and where they can't, well, then we, we will have a constitutional crisis at some point. I mean, I've already brought this up. What happens if Trump comes out with another executive order that changes the language to address this and then tells the executive branch, OK, well, here's a new executive order. Uh, the court can't find him in contempt for issuing a new executive order that's different. Uh, and is the court really going to find the president in contempt? I don't think so. Uh, but maybe they would. I, I don't know. Um now you start getting into getting you start getting into 
finding yourself outside of what has been normative in the past and what our expectations are for how all this is going to work. So I, I just, I don't know. It strikes me as uh, very concerning. And I think that the Obama administration uh, was able to get away with a lot more because the press was always just complicit in its agenda. And now we're at a point where the opposite is the case, where the Trump administration, if the press has its way, won't get away with anything. But that, that may be a problem. At some point, it will impinge on government functions. And that's going to be a real issue. So we'll have to see. I mean, it, the, right now, isn't it fascinating? Uh, for the eight years of Obama, the executive branch was the most powerful branch of the government. And now it's starting to feel like maybe the judiciary is. Um, I guess the executive still has a lot of authority. But the point here is just, what, why does the Congress even bother to write, write new laws? If the executive can just make it up as it goes along, and then the judiciary can say yay or nay to whatever the executive does. Anyway, very frustrating, uh, very uh, disheartening to see to see this. And it, at least if this was sort of just relegated to the realm of politics, I'd feel a little bit better about it. But as we all know, if you are a Trump supporter, you are now a target for scorn in social settings and professional settings all around the country. And I don't even mean a Trump supporter in the sense of you're a super Trumper. I just mean you're like, yeah, I, I want to I hope the president to say now in a lot of places in this country, I hope the president is successful and, and is able to help America out and do good things is to invite heaps of scorn on yourself. And that's really troubling in and of itself. Uh, we've got a little uh, we've got a little break here and then we're going to have a lot more for you. 888-900-3393 team. We'll be right back. Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Everybody, we're joined by Matt Walsh. He's an author at The Blaze and at thematwalshblog.com. His latest is, if you find it easy to be a Christian, you probably aren't one. It's up on theblaze.com right now. Also, listen to the Matt Walsh podcast. Mr. Walsh, thank you for coming on. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, so, what do, you, what, do you think about, what do you think about this week in, in Trump's America? Let's just start real broad, and we'll dig down, and we'll talk about your piece. And also, you got a book coming out. We'll talk about that in, in a second. What do you think about this week in, in the new America we're living in? Well, um, you know, of course, it gets more entertaining in one aspect by, by the day. So that's maybe the, uh, the positive end of it. I would, if I were to grade, I, I don't know how long we can keep grading each of Trump's weeks, but uh, I thought his first two he did, he did relatively well. I thought this was a, a bad, just a bad week for him all around. Um, obviously, we know about the, the ruling last night, which, which didn't go his way, but but uh, some of his less desirable tendencies have come to the foreground more this week, or maybe it's simply that you know when he when he's when he's winning as he likes to say he can get away with a lot he can get away with being Trump but when he's not winning uh, the Trump Act wears thin on those on those who has already not worn thin on already um, and so maybe that's what's happening but I, I think he, he's 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 got to he's got to recover because the, the leftists have, have gained a lot of ground. Uh, on him this week, and, uh, and it could be could be heading in a bad spot if he doesn't recover from this. 
Now, Matt, I know you wrote your piece here. If you find it easy to be a Christian, you probably aren't one. And, and, I, and I read it, and I would recommend to everybody listening right now to go check it out on TheBlaze.com uh, right now. I, I want to ask you, I, I see that, and you deal with this a lot more than I do because you, you write on, on Christian issues. Um, I, I see people on, on the social media who love to sort of, the only time they, they cite Christianity is usually in reference to like Obamacare or paying, uh, you know, uh, or welfare programs, and I have to pay taxes to support them. <laughs> Essentially, the Christianity is an excuse for people on social media to pull out their their inner uh, Catholic Marxist or something, but then they reject all the rest of it. A- am I imagining that, or do you see that a lot too? Yeah, I think that's certainly that's certainly what happens with, uh, and it, that's not just something that happens on the left, by the way. It's the left and right. It's a, it's a problem across the board that we have uh, our culture has presented Christianity as a kind of collection of sentiments and cliches and bumper sticker slogans, uh, all very pleasant, you know. And so people have adopted that, and they figure that if they kind of vaguely feel that, oh, yeah, well, people should be taken care of and the government should do It's always the government doing it, by the way. Um, that's, that's the common thread in this kind of false Christianity we see in our culture, is that we think, okay, well, if we feel certain ways about people and we generally think that people should be taken care of, that makes us Christian. But we don't have to do it ourselves. It's we, we, let, we just step back and we let other people do it. Um, it's all of the personal moral obligation of Christianity has been stripped away from it. And once you do that, you've taken away Christianity because Christianity is... A, it's a, um, in a certain sense, it's a personal faith. It's something that you yourself must believe and partake in. You can't, you can't uh, just step back and, and hope that the collective take care, takes care of it. You have to do it yourself. And we've taken that away, away from Christianity, and I think stripped of, stripped it of, of all of its meaning in the process. Yeah, I, I think you mentioned in your piece that what is it? Eighty percent of Americans identify. As Christian, but but clearly there's a disconnect because if, if one is a is a a believing and I don't even know how to a believing traditional Christian, that would mean uh, that you'd have to be uh, pro traditional marriage, pro life. You go down the line, and the statistics don't line up there. So for a lot of people, it must then just be what a, a sort of nominal cultural Christian that yeah, like it, it's about the what is it the, the Jesus fish bumper stickers and the golden rule and uh, giving stuff to poor people via the government. That's really what Christianity for a lot of people boils down to now. Yeah, it's great. We are still in some ways a Christian in, cust- in custom country just because you still see the uh, Christmas lights all over the place and you do see the Jesus bumper stickers and people talk about the golden rule. But the interesting thing is with the golden rule, uh, you know, doing to others as you would have them doing to you, if you take God out of that, if you take, if you take uh, Christ out of that equation, then it becomes a selfish kind of interaction where, well, you're being nice to people so that they will be nice to you in return. Um, and so it's more of a business interaction. It's not actually compassion. But when you add God back into it, then we realize that we're supposed to serve others because, because that's what we're commanded to do and because Christ is in, is in other people, so we're serving Christ in the process. So, yeah, I think we, we've, we've, uh, that's what it's become. And, in fact, there was a, a couple days ago, there was a study done that showed vast majorities of Christians in, in, all, in all, almost all churches and denominations um, not only endorse gay marriage, which isn't a surprise, but also endorse uh, the government 
taking measures to uh, make sure that business owners, you know, aren't aren't allowed to exercise their religious liberty, that bakers and and all, and all that sort of thing. So we we have Christians who have not only abandoned the theological teachings in, in, in Scripture, but are also abandoning religious liberty entirely. So it's just a uh, it's a ridiculous situation. What did you think of the? Uh, I see you, you tweeted about this uh, about people blocking. Betsy, uh, protesters blocking Betsy DeVos uh, from entering a D.C. school. Um, what, what did you think of the whole DeVos, De, uh, DeVos debacle that played out and finally needed a Pence tie-break maneuver in the Senate? I, I saw. Yes, I mentioned yesterday on my show that uh, you've got people that are now thre- threatening to homeschool their kids because of DeVos. It's like, well, I guess she's more successful than anybody realized. Yeah, yeah. If that's if that's where this goes, I'm a big advocate of homeschooling. So I, I I fully endorse that. If you really are terrified now of what's going to happen in the public schools, and you think that the Department of Education is now a, a force of destruction in American culture, which it, it, I think it has been, it always has been. So yeah, pull your kids out of homeschooling. I think it's a great thing to do. Um, I, you know, as far as DeVos goes, I don't. You know, I, I think she's her uh, feelings on and endorsement of Common Core is sort of a dubious aspect of it so i wasn't a fan of that but my my opinion I, i'm not I don't, you know i'd be fine with just getting rid of the department of education and so to whatever extent appointing her brings us closer to that eventuality then i'm i'm completely in favor of it and i you know i, I just don't see and, and i haven't heard a coach an argument as to why the federal government needs to be involved in education why these things can't be handled on a local basis anyway and these protesters now i i just don't understand I mean, this has been going on for you know years, of course. But why aren't they? Why aren't the cops showing up with buses and just arresting everybody and and taking them to jail? I mean, when when you have this kind of uh, rampant lawlessness going on, you, you can't go to a school and you know block a woman from entering who needs to do her job. You can't do that. Isn't that against the law? Why aren't there cops showing up and and enforcing the law in these cases? I mean, it's it's mind boggling. Yeah, I don't understand this either, this conflation of speech and protest with I get to prevent you from using public roadways when I feel like it. I get to throw a tantrum. I think people should be – there was a story, got very little play, by the way, where protesters recently, I think, prevented somebody having a heart attack in an ambulance from actually getting to the hospital. This can have serious consequences. I I forget it was somebody said that Chris Christie was like guilty of mass murder because of the Bridgegate scandal. So sometimes they get very outraged about about traffic and slowing people down. Uh, But I I I don't understand when we made this switch to. And I saw back in the old Occupy Wall Street days firsthand that you can lie down in in the street, you can lie down on a highway, and everybody can be trapped in their vehicles for hours because you want to act like a, a, a jackass. I just don't understand. Why does anyone think this is okay? Yeah, I, I can't come to any conclusion other than it really depends on your politics. The, the law is enforced depending on your politics. Because you know, speaking of blocking people or whatever, I, think about the law. A lot of people don't realize how many laws there are surrounding um, abortion clinics. And if you want to go to an abortion clinic and exercise your First Amendment rights to protest, not only can you not stand on the private property, but there are, I mean, they, they, will, they will even, in many states, Anyway, there are laws, you know, giving like a 50-yard buffer zone between private property and where you're allowed to stand with a sign. And if you infringe on that for even a second, the cops will be there and, and you're, you're getting hauled off to jail. Um, so it's in that case, it's the laws it, very, very strictly enforced. 
Um, but yeah, you, you can you can shut down an entire highway system apparently if you protest Trump, or you can go to a school and stop a, a woman from 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 walking in to do her job. So it's hard for me to see it as anything other than just uh, you know unequal under the law, depending on what your politics are. And Matt, do you want to talk to us a little bit about your your book that's coming out, or do we have to hold that for another time? Well, if you have time, I always like to. Yeah, we got, we, we've got a couple. Why don't we do a little? Just give us a preview now for a couple minutes because we're going to run into a break. But we'll have you back to talk about it when it's ready to release. Obviously, but what what's the what's the overview? Yeah, well, the the book is kind of tying together a lot of themes that I've uh, talked about in my writing over the last few years. But discussing the left's attempts, um, it, it's it's assault on our culture, and the way that it assaults our culture, as we know, is by redefining these uh, foundational principles of human civilization. And so we know they began by redefining human life in the womb through abortion. Uh, the next step was to redefine marriage, and they succeeded in that. And now the third, uh, the, th- the third element of this, which completes the kind of unholy trinity of attacks that I, that I talk about in the title, is their assault on, on gender and trying to redefine gender. And if we allow them to get away with it, and they, they largely have already, unfortunately, then they have reshaped human civilization in their image, and they've, they've redefined everything, and they've in, in, instituted uh, relativism as the you know guiding force in their civilization. So my my book is kind of talking about that, equipping people with some arguments and, and how to how to deal with it, and then sort of talking about you know, what's our what do we do given the fact that we live in a culture where this is already happening and they've made so many inroads. Where do we go from there? So that's what the book. Kind of gets into well, one real uh, one quick one for you, Matt, and then we'll let you get get going on onto your weekend and everything else you got going on. Uh, I, I'm always amazed at how people that don't know anyone who is transgender and are not transgender themselves take it upon themselves to act like they are a civil rights hero for snapping at people for using the wrong pronoun. W- what is that all about? Well, it's just an easy. Uh, it's just a really. It's kind of what we we're talking about just to begin the conversation. It's an easy form of morality, I guess. For them. They feel like. Um, they can be, you know, tolerant. They can, they can be the kind of white knight saviors for for transgenders. Uh, and when it comes to the transgender argument, the vast, vast majority of the people who are on the other side, the quote unquote pro transgender side of it, are not transgender themselves. They probably don't know many transgender people. How many transgender people exist in the country? It's, you know, less than 0.1 percent probably, and certainly less than one percent, far less than one percent. So yeah, most of this is 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 this argument is pushed forward by people who, you know, not only don't know transgenders, but up until just a few years ago, they didn't care about the issue at all, and they only recently decided to care about it, um, which is another interesting aspect of the of it. Matt Walsh is the author is an author at the Blaze and at the mattwalshblog.com. Follow him on Twitter, everybody, if you're not already, and uh, we look forward to your book, Matt. Thanks for for calling in. We'll talk to you more about it when it gets closer. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Have a good weekend. Team, we'll be right back. Buck Sexton. Dispensing the truth. On the Blaze Radio Network. As you know, I'll be on radio tonight for three hours from 6 to 9 Eastern. Uh, you can tune in live by going to AmericanHourRadio.com. And if you missed last night's show, please go to America, AmericanHourRadio.com slash podcast. Uh, you can listen to it all there. 
And uh, it's really, honestly, especially given the uh, workload these days and just a lot of stuff going on, having uh, having Teen Buck call in and support me in the new show is uh, very appreciated and really meaningful, and, and that's what keeps me fired up to keep pushing through doing now five, five hours of uh, five hours of live radio a day, which is which is a lot. It's not like I get to play, you know, uh, country music, at, you know, every every couple of minutes and then just sort of sit back and chill and then come back. I get to talk for a lot of that five hours. But anyway, it is really appreciated and it brings a smile on my face every time the call screener puts something up and it says, you know, so and so wants to tell you, you know, congrats and shields high. I'm like, ah, it's one of the teams. So thank you all so much for that. Uh, it, it is very meaningful and, and it is very appreciated. Uh, on, a, on a sort of fun moment or light moment for a second here, uh, Shia LaBeouf, uh, whom I find is is kind of the Colin Farrell of, of his generation and that Colin Farrell kind of ruins every movie he's in. I, I know that's harsh, but it's true. And if you look back at most Colin Farrell movies, uh, especially the big budget movies, you're like, wow, he's horribly miscast and does a bad job. Uh, and he's been in some real real clunkers he was in that wasn't he in that alexander the great movie that just bombed yeah so alexander the great such an amazing story and it was such a such a bad movie uh but shia labeouf i think is the same thing i think he ruins every movie he's in uh, even transformers which is a giant cgi mishmash of of, of crap and he has been <laughs> he's been out in brooklyn for a while now uh doing this he will not divide us live stream cam protest and if you haven't seen the video of it it's it's worth checking out just because you're like what is this guy's deal i mean he's a a famous actor which doesn't mean anything about his character or his intellect or anything else but he is a famous actor and uh you know he's doing this weird live stream protest thing and finally the museum of the moving image in brooklyn shut it down and TMZ has this funny, this funny thing where they have the live stream up, and it says the museum has abandoned us, and, and he will not divide us. Us. So, so he may not divide us, but the museum will abandon us. Apparently, uh, I just, I don't know. I, I wish I had the time and the sort of bizarre self assurance to think that I should do a live stream of me chanting in the street for no reason for many, many hours, and that this is somehow making America a better place. I wish. I'm working on a team. Be sure to join me tonight. We'll have fun on Friday night, 6 to 9 Eastern on American Now with Buck Saxton. Go to AmericanHourRadio.com and check that out and download today's show. Shields high, everyone. You're listening to Buck Sexton on the Blaze Radio Network.